0: So John 13, 36 through to 14, 14. You're 31, that's what I thought you said last night. Okay. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children... I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. And you command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Peter asked him, "'Lord, where are you going?' And Jesus replied, "'Where I am going, you cannot follow now, "'but you will follow later.' Peter asked, "'Lord, why can't I follow you now? "'I will lay down my life for you.' Then Jesus answered, "'Will you really lay down your life for me? "'I tell you the truth. "'Before the rooster crows, "'you will disown me three times.' Do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in the Lord, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father that, we will be, that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. We give thanks.
1: Well, let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we do pray now, Father, that uh, we would focus on what you have to say to us. Help us, Lord God, not to be distracted. Uh, we pray, Father, that by your spirit that you would be teaching us from the scriptures and that you would be shaping our hearts, that we would be people whose lives are given over to Uh, trusting in Christ, to uh, serving one another, and in so doing, by glorifying yourself. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1940, two brothers in California started their own restaurant. They needed a name for their restaurant. A name would be really good. If it uh, particularly if it made a statement about what they really valued, what their restaurant was like. A name which uh, would convey strong family values, a name which would connect with people who were thrifty, people who appreciated value for money. Uh, Scottish people are known for being thrifty, aren't they? perhaps a good Scottish name would do the trick. Well, so goes the marketing story in any case. It may simply have been that uh, Richard and Morris MacDonald uh, just used their own name for the restaurant. But it's true to say that in the mid-20th century, that particular name did convey a message of good value for money. Uh, these days, the name McDonald's may convey some other kind of message. But there's a truth in what's, uh, what I've just said, and that is that smart organisations, smart companies and smart movements uh, choose their names carefully. Uh, they choose names which will, in a nutshell, uh, send out a message in terms of what they represent. What are their core values? So what would be a good name for people who follow Jesus? How about the name Christians? In the first century, uh, that was a name which sent out a message and the message was that they follow Christ. But in the uh, New Testament... Uh, Followers of Jesus were called by another name as well. Can anyone tell me what that other name was? What were the followers of Jesus called in the New Testament? They were called? Disciples, yeah. That's uh, sort of like a generic name for anyone who follows a teacher. There's another name that this particular group of disciples uh, were called. Anyone think about it? The way. That's right. They were called the way now, what do you think of that? By the way, do you think that's a good name for the followers of Jesus? Um, when you think about the uh, the term the way, what kind of a picture does that um, bring up in your mind? I think of things like a journey and a destination. You know that it is the way to get to a particular place. Uh, or it, you might think of a uh, a method or a technology or a technique. It is the way to do something. They were called the way. And uh, these were words which came from the lips of Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. Uh, We've been looking at the last Passover over the last uh, three weeks and we're going to be looking at the conversation that took place at the last Passover over the next few weeks as well it was a very tense night wasn't it that night that Jesus shared with his disciples last week we came to the point in the Passover meal when we were told that Judas went out and it was it was night Judas went out into the darkness in more ways than one now, if you care to open up your Bibles at uh, John 13 on page 763, uh, what we see that is that on this tense night, from verse 31 onwards, the mood changes somewhat. There is a change of mood. And we see that if you look in verse 33 by uh, the way that Jesus now refers to his disciples what does he call them in verse thirty three? he calls them my children. now that is uh, that is warm, that is affectionate, isn't it? And uh, you wonder if you know it was easier for Jesus to call them my children now that the betrayer has gone, now that the evil from amongst them has been purged. And so there they are, Jesus plus now eleven. He calls them children, and now Jesus has some news for them. He's about to leave them and go somewhere, somewhere where they cannot follow, not yet anyway. How would the disciples react to that news? Well, as you would expect uh, in chapter 13, verse 36, we hear first of all from Peter Let's have a look at what Peter said in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter is very confident, isn't he? Uh, He's very confident that he can follow Jesus. But there's a couple of problems with Peter's confidence. Let me tell you, first of all, Peter overestimates his own courage. And uh, we know from what happened later on uh, that night uh, that uh, Jesus as he said that Peter would deny him three times, that that in fact did come true. Peter overestimated his own courage. But secondly, Peter did not really understand where Jesus was going. Uh, because Peter is thinking about a physical destination, isn't he? Peter's thinking of a place where, Je- where Peter could walk along with Jesus in order to get to. But that is not right. Uh, In chapter 14, verses 1 to 4, Jesus spells out more about the destination to which he is heading. And he says that he is going to his father's house. Now, uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus talks about his father's house, uh, what's he referring to? He's referring to the temple, isn't he? Uh, numerous times he refers to the temple as being my father's house. But here he says that my father's house has got many rooms. We know that the temple in Jerusalem uh, did not have many rooms at all. He's talking about something else. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that he's going to his father's house in order to prepare a place for them. He's talking, of course, about the Father's house, which the temple was only a temporary representation of. He's talking about where his Father dwells. He's talking about heaven itself. The journey that Jesus was about to take would lead him to heaven. And how would he get there? What would be the route that he would take? It would be the way of the cross. Now, there's uh, interesting irony here because in verse 37, Peter, and you've got to hand it to Peter for his zeal and his love and his affection for, for Jesus. Uh, Peter says, Lord, uh, I will lay down my life for you. He doesn't realise that the exact opposite is about to happen, that Jesus is about to lay down his life for Peter and for you and for me as well. Now, notice what Jesus said to his disciples straight after Judas had left the room. Verses 31 and 32. In verse 31, when he, that is Judas, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. What do you think of that statement? Pretty straightforward? Very clear? Clear as mud? I'd say it's a complex statement, isn't it? But let me try to put it in in a nutshell. In a nutshell, this is what, what he's saying. He's saying, first of all, that there is an immediacy word now is used. Now. Uh, Now that Judas has left the room the betrayal is fully underway. And because of that great betrayal the great glory of Jesus was about to be revealed. And God the Father would be glorified through him. Now How do we see the glory of Jesus? Uh, We often think of glory as being something which is splendorous, uh, something which is magnificent and incredibly impressive. But we see the glory of Jesus by looking at the humility and the suffering of the cross. The destination for Jesus was heaven, the way to get there was crucifixion. Now, in chapter 14, verses 5 through to 14, the conversation changes tact a little bit because it is no longer about the way that Jesus would take. It's now about the way the disciples would take How would the disciples get to where Jesus was going? When you think about it, that is the bigger question, the age-old question of how is it that any person can come into the presence of the Father? How is it that any person can get entry into God's heaven? And of course, there's a number of different ways that people answer that question. From my experience, the average Aussie would answer that question by saying, well, it's by being good. Uh, It's by, uh, you know, keeping yourself out of trouble. Uh, If you keep yourself out of trouble, if you try to do the right thing by other people, try your best, then you'll be okay with God. Uh, That's the uh, common sort of folk religion of Australia. But it's also what... uh, major religions formally do teach as well, that uh, if you try to do good, if you perform certain rituals, then you can please God and you will climb your way into his favour, into his heaven. But what is the way to heaven? Well, we need to think about who Jesus is. Uh, In verse 7, Jesus told his disciples that if they knew him, that they would know the Father as well. One of the things I like about this passage is that uh, there is a bit of dialogue going on between the disciples and Jesus. Uh, We see in this passage uh, that, uh, that Peter speaks up Uh, We see uh, also that Thomas speaks up. We see that Philip speaks up. There's very few passages in the Gospel where you get that kind of dialogue and interaction happening between Jesus and his disciples as being recorded for us. Well, Philip spoke up and he said, Lord, he said to Jesus, why don't you just show us the Father? You know, that'll be enough. Just show us the Father. Well, have a look at what Jesus says in verses 9 through to 11. In verse 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Extraordinary, isn't it? What is Jesus saying about his own identity? Jesus is claiming to be equal with God. Jesus is claiming to to be God, and he has already backed up that claim by the miracles. So he said, believe what I tell you, or at least believe on the basis of the miracles that I've performed. Now, you and I, we could go down to Town Beach, we could stand at the end of the break wall there, and we could shout as much as we liked to the waves or to the wind, is it going to have any effect? But what if someone should be able to simply speak to the wind and it dies down, speak to the waves and the sea becomes smooth? Who would that person be? God. Only God. God. Only God has the authority to speak to the creation and to command the creation to do his will. Other religions teach that we need to climb our way into heaven by trying to be good. But the claim of the Bible is not that we climb our way into heaven, but rather that God came down to us in the person of his son and he rescued us. Here in chapter 14, Jesus gives very clear teaching on the nature of God. God is one God, but three persons. God is Father. God is Son. And next week when Peter speaks and we look at the remainder of chapter 14, we'll see that God is Holy Spirit. God is three, one God, three persons, three persons who are equally God but who have different roles within the Godhead. The Father sends the Son into the world. The Son obeys the Father. The Son sends the Holy Spirit in the world. The Holy Spirit points people to the Son, glorifies the Son, that people may then glorify the Father. One God, three persons in perfect unity and harmony with one another, but with different roles. Take a look at the claims that Jesus makes. In verse 9, anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. In verse 10, the Father lives in the Son... In verse 11, the Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father. Now, earlier on, in chapter 10 verse 30, Jesus was going into verbal combat with uh, his enemies, the religious leaders. And he said to them, I and the Father are one. Now, His enemies got what he was saying. We know that because they immediately picked up stones and tried to kill him. And they said to him, the reason we're doing this is because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You've committed blasphemy. His enemies understood what he was saying. His disciples were a bit slower to understand. Now some people say that it doesn't really matter whether you believe that Jesus is God or not so long as you believe in Jesus uh, in your own vague kind of way. Um, But that is nonsense. The claims that Jesus makes about himself are of vital importance because they tell us that the man who was nailed up to that cross, was not some failed religious leader, some well-meaning crusader. No, they tell us that he was in fact the creator of the universe, that he is the one who can command the winds and the waves, that he is God come in human flesh. And the implications, therefore, are enormous. Because he is God, Because he never sinned, his death on the cross as a sacrifice therefore has infinite power to achieve that work of paying the penalty for sin, for all sin, for the sin of all people across all time who turn back to him. Um, if you or I were to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for somebody else's sin, then we couldn't even pay the penalty for our own sin because we're not sinless. and We're not God. But Jesus is. So in verse 5, when Thomas asked Jesus how the disciples could know the way to where he is going, Jesus is able to make another very bold claim. You see it in verse 6. In verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, notice that Jesus did not say, I am a way to the Father. He didn't say... I am one of several possible roads that you could take to get to heaven. He didn't say that. And that is a very important thing for us to grasp hold of because uh, I don't know how you understand the society that we live in, but it seems to me that we live in a society which has really devalued the concept of absolute truth. Uh, We live in a society especially about God. Uh, In in modern Australian culture, it seems that one person's opinion about God is considered to be equally as valid as any other person's opinion about God. Uh, they say that, um, and you've probably heard it said, you know, we're all just worshipping the one God. It doesn't matter if you're believing in the God of, uh, uh, of Islam or the God of Buddhism or the gods of Hinduism or the gods of, of the Bible. They say, oh, are just worshipping one God. That all roads lead to that God. That it doesn't matter what you believe about the way to get to heaven so long as you're sincere in your belief. I wonder if sometimes, have you ever come across that attitude amongst your family, friends, kids you go to school with, workmates and so on? Now there are many big problems with that uh, view. I just want to express what two of the problems are with it. First of all, It is a view which robs God of his glory. Think about it this way. What is the thing about God, if you could nail it down to one thing about God? What is the key truth about God that really stirs your heart to want to love him, worship him, honour him and obey him? Is there one thing that makes about God and who he is and his character that what makes you want to fall down on your knees and give glory to him? Think about that. I know you're thinking there's several things about God, many things about God, but for me, one of the key things is his love. To, to reflect on the fact that the God of the universe loved even me. That the God of the universe loved me even so much that he would die for me on a cross when i reflect on god's love expressed in the cross of jesus it's the very thing that makes me want to fall down on my knees and just give my life over to him now people when they say well jesus isn't really god or they say that there are other ways that you can get to heaven, that Jesus didn't, didn't really need to even die on a cross, what they are doing is that they are they're ignoring God's love. Or, or they're actually denying God's love. And they rob God of his glory. Um, we see this in the new command that Jesus gave which is not really a new command. It's a new command in the sense that it's a command that now has new meaning, new significance. Uh, Chapter 13, verse 34, uh, where where, uh, Jesus says that a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It was good singing that early on, wasn't it? It's a great song to sing. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, John says that Jesus now showed them the full extent of his love. How did he do that? Well, he went and picked up a wash basin and a towel and he took on the role of the lowest servant. A role which would lead him to take up his cross and to die for you and me. And that's something which should change us. It ought to stir us to want to glorify God by humbly loving and serving not ourselves, but others. Because as we do that, as we empty ourselves of all pride and all dignity, as we take on, the, the, on the, 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 the role and the character of the lowest of servants who puts other people ahead of ourselves, as we do that, we take on the very character of God himself. The God who is a servant God, the God who sent his son to die on a cross. Now, that's the first thing. People who say that there are many roads to God, they rob God of his glory. But secondly, when people say that there are many ways to God, I think that they think that they're being very nice and very tolerant, aren't they? But they're misleading people. They're actually directing people to the wrong path. You know, they're saying that if you want to travel to Melbourne from Port Macquarie, you you drive north. They're sending people in a direction which is going to land them in the place where they do not want to be because there is only one way to God and that is through Jesus. Okay, so what's in a name? In the New Testament, I'll look this up. In the New Testament, and therefore in the Bible as a whole, there are only three verses where the followers of Jesus are referred to as Christians. Only three verses. Did you know that? But there are twice as many verses where they are called the way. Now, I was thinking about that. Do you think that they thought up the name The Way by themselves? Or do you think it was kind of like a, um, a label that the non-Christians gave them? Well, the truth is that we don't know. Uh, there's no evidence in the Bible to suggest either way, except for this. In Acts chapter 16, verse 17, there's a very interesting story. Acts chapter 16, verse 17, you don't need to look it up, but there was a slave girl. Uh, She was a non-Christian. She was actually filled with the wrong kind of spirit. And she followed Paul and some of the other disciples around when they were sharing the gospel. And whenever they got to a group of people, uh, this girl would shout out and she would tell people, about these men. Listen to what she would say. She would say this, and I quote, These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. The way to be saved. Now, these days, of course, followers of Jesus are mostly called Christians, uh, although in some parts of our world today they are still referred to as the way uh, it was uh, lovely uh, the other weekend after uh, Osay and Alberta's wedding, wasn't it? To have uh, uh, the people from Ghana in the church and uh, uh, Alberta's mother and her uncle George. Did you love the singing on that Sunday? It was great, wasn't it? Well, when I first started talking to uh, to George, uh, he was telling me about uh, life in Ghana, and he said to me quite naturally, he said, "Hey, he said Scott, in Ghana there are many of us who follow the way." I to think for a moment, what's he talking about there? (laughs) What about us? Do you think of yourself as being a person who knows the way? Are you someone who wants to tell others about the way? In today's passage, uh, Jesus finishes with an extraordinary promise. And I want to finish on this promise as well. Because he said to to them right there at the end of the passage, he said to his disciples that anyone who has faith in him will do greater miracles than the miracles that Jesus has been doing. And you kind of scratch your head when you see that, don't you? And you think to yourself, well, hang on a moment. He's the one who calms the storms. He's the one who raises people from the dead. How can I do any miracle that even comes anywhere near that? Let alone being greater than those miracles. Well, what is the greatest miracle? The greatest miracle happens when a spiritually dead heart is brought back to life, comes alive to God. The greatest miracle is when a person is told the way. The greatest miracle is when a person having heard about that way to be saved decides to join the way and start walking along that road by trusting Jesus. God uses ordinary people, people like you and me, to do an extraordinary miracle and that is the miracle of helping others to find their way to God through the cross of Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. We thank you, Father God, that uh, you have shown us the way. We pray that we would become known as people who know the way and who tell others of the way to be saved. Father, as we reflect on the way that Jesus took, the way of the cross, we pray that we too would empty ourselves and take on the role of a servant, someone who loves others in the same way that you've loved us. And that, uh, Father, that you would take away all pride uh, from from our hearts, uh, that we would learn to esteem others more highly than ourselves. And that by this that all people would know that we are people who follow you. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.